Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, a Ukrainian airliner crashes shortly after taking off from Tehran. Canadians on board. We give you the latest. And an update on the battle between Iran and the United States. Is the retaliation over? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right. In the light of uh, what has happened with Iran and Iraq and the U.S. and such, uh, 63 Canadians are dead in a plane crash that occurred in Tehran shortly after takeoff. Apparently, absolutely no uh, connection to the military action that has taken place at this point. To talk more about this, David Aiken is with us with Global News and is on the line now. David, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, no problem, Scott. So, David, obviously the first question is, when this, something like this happens in the proximity of those attacks, is there at this point any sort of relation to what has happened with uh, the military attacks and this plane crash? News agencies in Iran say no, and to the extent that we can trust them, I guess that's an issue. But right now, no. This is Right now, the investigation that's underway is a joint investigation by Iran and Ukraine. Ukraine is one of Canada's strongest allies. We've been one of their strongest supporters. So in that sense, there are friends of Canada in the investigation. But Iran is no friend of Canada. We have had no diplomatic relations with Iran since the Harper government broke them off after there were very serious concerns about the safety of our diplomats over there. We've, we've had Canadians uh, tortured and killed in Iranian prisons. And though the Trudeau government vowed to resume relations with Iran back in 2015, Nothing. We have no diplomats on the ground in Tehran, and they don't have any diplomats here. So that makes it tricky for Canada, the government of Canada, to get information to pass on about the investigation, to pass on to the families of the 63 Canadians who've died. At this point, they, they can, we're learning how, how tight and well-knit and well-connected the Canadian-Iranian community is. There are Iranian-Canadian uh, societies in many of our biggest cities, and they have been using a social media app to talk to each other. This flight route apparently is very well known among them. There's not a lot of flight options to get to Tehran from Canada. And this one, using the airline Ukraine International Airlines, uh, takes you from Toronto to Kiev, then Kiev onto Tehran. It's apparently a very low-cost uh, option as well, so it's, it's another favorite. And so it's been the Ukrainians who have provided the passenger list in this case and confirmed details about the crash and, and some details about the investigation. But so far, from the government of Canada, not much other than condolences in statements uh, from the Prime Minister, uh, from the Transport Minister, uh, Mark Garneau, the Foreign Affairs Minister, Philippe Francois Champagne, Garneau actually offering, quote, technical assistance from Canada, but no really details about that, and we haven't got any answers from the government, and we're already at midday. Again, I go back to, we don't have any diplomatic relations with Iran. How would we offer technical assistance? And that's an issue, Scott, because Iran has said it's not turning the black box over to Boeing, which is the aircraft manufacturer. This is a 737-800 that crashed. So, uh, of course, because of U.S. Uh, uh, Iran relations, an American company like Boeing, you know, Iran doesn't want to see anybody. Normally, Boeing would have its people on the crash site, and it would be uh, participating in analysis of the black box data. Iran saying they're not getting the black box. But Iran saying, not sure who is going to get the black box. Could that be Canada? Could we help? Could it go to the Ukrainians? Again, uh, really not sure. We hope and we anticipate we're going to hear from 
Canadian government officials, ministers, at some point during the day, but that's uh, still to be confirmed. And this was uh, a Ukraine airline, so why would they not get the black box? Well, one would think, but again, it's, it's finders keepers. You know, possession is nine-tenths of the law. We've all heard that. It's on the ground in Iran. But again, the, the Iranian Civil Aviation Authority saying, at this point, only, only that Boeing is not going to get it. So right. it may go to Ukraine. But again, we're not sure uh, this is something people are trying to determine, and we're going to speak to the Ukrainian ambassador here in Canada in a little while, about Ukraine's ability uh, to investigate these crashes. Do they have the equipment that is needed? Do they, can they analyze Boeing uh, plane data? Would it be somebody else in Western Europe, or as I said, possibly Canada, that could assist in, in that front? But, but the Canada-Ukraine connection here is a very important one. It's about as strong as a relationship we have with any country. And, in fact, it's the mirror opposite of the Canada-Iranian connection, which is about as cold a relationship as we have with any country. The fact that the black box, and we can certainly understand with the politics that's going on now, uh, I guess Iran's position, but um, what kind of red flags does that raise? Because it seems to add more suspicion to the case. Yes, and, and again, this is for the families. I can only imagine as they're trying to piece together what happens and, and possibly make arrangements to travel to Tehran to retrieve the remains, and uh, etc. The, the first, as soon as the plane crash happened, and it happened about 6 a.m. local time, uh, the Ukraines put out a statement saying it was uh, because of mechanical failure, but then they deleted that statement, so that seems a little odd. Uh, the uh, Iranian authorities, uh, Iranian, again, transportation ministry authorities, are telling news agencies in Iran that there may have been a fire on one of the engines, and this is what uh, caused the plane to crash. Uh, it never, we know from, there's a lot of, you know, aviation buffs will know there's a lot of flight tracking services. You can go and look uh, and, and see mm-hmm. the, where a flight went. This flight never got above 2,400 meters, and it was several minutes into its flight when it crashed. So it should have been much higher than that. So it clearly had an issue gaining altitude. And it did look like the pilot, the pilot may have lost control, but he may have had enough control to avoid a residential area. It crashed in some farmland, and it did sort of seem to veer off course. So those are really the only, only threads at this point that um, we have to go on, and that's all the stuff in public domain from Iran news sources, Ukraine government officials, and again, nothing definitive from the government of Canada at this point in time. And we should point out, 63 Canadians certainly, 176 overall uh, died from other countries. Iran, Iran was the, the, the largest number of nationals from Iran, but also some Swedes and other people. So it's, certainly Canada has an interest here, but so do other countries as well. And uh, a large contingency of these Canadians from Edmonton, I understand. Do we know much about those 63? You said Iranian Canadians, but Ukraine Canadians as well, I'm guessing. Yes. So, uh, uh, gosh, uh, you know, the, the global news team across the country from one co- uh, country has been chasing down the names on the passenger list because, of course, we don't want to confirm anything till, or say any names, report any names till we can confirm it. And, yes, you're right, we can confirm that the Iranian uh, uh, Canadian Society in Edmonton says 27 people from Iranians from Edmonton are among the victims, including some University of Alberta professors. And I point out the university arrangement because we've just confirmed that three University of Ottawa students were among the victims. There's been six University of Windsor students. There may be at least one or possibly two University of Guelph students among the victims. Lots of post-secondary professors and students we're trying to see if perhaps there was an, everybody was there for an academic conference. Of course, it's, it was the Christmas season, and like a lot of Canadians from wherever they may be around the world, use your Christmas holiday to travel home, see family, 
uh, there's a lot, certainly a lot of the Edmonton victims. That's w- what they were doing, using the Christmas break to get back to Tehran to visit some family. For Shia Muslims, Tehran is the site of a lot of holy sites, and maybe there were some Canadian uh, Shia Muslims who were, who were uh, doing a pilgrimage. And again, just looking at the, the fact that there was a lot of academic and a lot of post-secondary connections here among the Canadian victims, there may have been at a... Um, at a conference. One other thing, too, they may be Canadians just getting out of the country because of these U.S.-Iran relations. The government of Canada issuing or updating a travel advisory this morning saying to Canadians, if you don't need to travel to Iran, do not go there. Again, that's more related to the, the current tensions between Iran and the United States, but I don't think you can ignore this story without that being a huge factor. Uh, with so many Canadians on board, how much leverage does Canada have in this investigation? And especially when it comes to, again, rely, uh, relaying information between uh, the event and the families of the victims. Uh, our, our leverage, if, it, if it's there, it rests solely with the Ukrainians, and, uh, and that's it. And, um, and again, Canada has good relations with uh, the Ukraine and has been very supportive of the Ukraine, perhaps, you know, relatively more supportive than many other Western allies. I don't think Canada has any leverage at this point with the Iranians, although this is something that we definitely want to try to get our foreign minister and prime minister Trudeau uh, on the record today talking about um, what assistance we can provide and how those Iranian Canadians who have family members uh, that they're concerned about what 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 is what what steps can Canada uh, help there. And as far as we know there were no Americans on this plane, is that accurate? That uh, yes, I think so, and I'll take that because the State Department literally just before we came on air issued a statement. And we, first of all, Trump. We just heard President Trump this morning yep. speaking from the White House. He didn't mention this plane crash at all. I'm trying to think. I don't think he said a word about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Secretary of State Michael, Mike Pompeo uh, has just issued a short statement expressing condolences. He doesn't mention that any Americans were on board, uh, but he does say that the United States calls for quote complete cooperation with any investigation into the cause of the crash. So the U.S. wants to know what went down, and uh, I think everybody wants to know what went down, Iranians as well. Uh, but uh, at this point, no mention that uh, there are any Americans uh, on that. I, I, sus- I suspect Americans, if they're traveling at this point in and out of Iran, it's on a U.S. military aircraft. That There's not a lot of American civilians mm. at this point in Tehran. It would be very dangerous for them to be there. And as you may remember, uh, President Trump a few days ago ordered or encouraged all Americans to get out of Iran immediately, as soon as uh, Soleimani was, was killed. That was the word from the U.S., get out of Iran. And so you assume there's not a lot of Americans left there. We will not know more than David, till this black box is, is in the right hands. Yeah, that's true. And, and again, we're, we're uh, at this point, I mean, uh, I'm going to put the plug in for organization who've done a great job, uh, reporters all over the country, tracking down family members. And they've had a lot to tell us about uh, what happened and what was going on. The flight, for instance, was uh, delayed by an hour, which... You know, flights are delayed, I guess, all the time, but that's uh, one of the things. And so, of course, we'll be reporting on this online all day long, globalnews.ca, and updating what it is we're learning from the families and what, if anything, we hear from our government officials. David Aiken, Global News, thanks for the time. We know you got to run. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. No problems, Scott. Cheers. You too. Uh, David Aiken, of course, from Global News, telling us the latest on that uh, Ukrainian plane crash uh, in Tehran shortly after takeoff. 63 Canadians perished in that. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on this. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. As I mentioned, 63 Canadians uh, died in this crash after taking off from Tehran. Let's bring in aviation expert Jock Williams, uh, and he is with us now. Jock, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Not a problem. Sorry to be here on such a sad uh, subject. Our condolences to everybody who uh, isn't somehow touched by this. Uh, Your thoughts, your take on this uh, crash at this point with very little information available. Yeah, with with so little information available that I really haven't got a theory at all. And, And I try to consciously avoid formulating an early theory because they're almost always wrong. First of all, it's because the information that comes out in the first few hours after a crash is so frequently incorrect. Someone will say this airplane blew up in the air, and it'll turn out when the accident investigation is complete that it didn't at all blow up in the air. Same thing, uh, things have been reported, smoke coming out of airplanes, flames coming out of airplanes, and then as the investigation proceeds, we're able to prove that those things did not happen. But people who spread such rumors or people who jump to such conclusions can really throw a monkey wrench into an accident investigation. So I just like to sit back and wait and watch and gather all the data that I can from whatever source I can find. And this is a case where Google is sometimes quite a good source. But I try to gather all the information before I voice an opinion. And I I surely don't have a strongly held opinion as yet about this one. It appears that the black boxes have been recovered. Uh, Iran, though, keeping those pretty close to the chest at this point, certainly doesn't want Boeing or uh, America, North America, to have anything to do with this. How important is that black box? Where do you think it will end up? Well, the the black boxes, if they're still in existence, and I'm sure they are, uh, because the crash was such, I mean, part of the tail was intact, and that's where the black boxes are. So I look at it and I say, it'll be really nice when we get the information from those black boxes. Don't try to spread the the impression that Iran is withholding a crash or aircraft accident data. They're withholding it from Boeing and from the United States government because because they're not happy with with Boeing Mm -hmm. or the United States government. But I believe that they will do the responsible thing and forward those boxes presupposing that they don't have the capacity to read them themselves, Mm. and they probably don't. But Great Britain does, Canada does. Canada is a world leader in reading these things. France does, Germany does. So there's lots of places they can send this, and they can can extract from the country to which it's sent a promise that that information will not be forwarded to Boeing or to the National Transportation Safety Board. So it's not like they're withholding the capacity to investigate the crash. They're withholding who gets it. Hmm. And I can understand their their annoyance at the present time. Uh, with but, the fact that 63 Canadians were on board, does that give Canada any leverage to this information? As you said, we're experts on this. Does that work yeah, in our favor? Not really. The fact that Canada is interested because it had 63 people on board doesn't give it the right to take part in the investigation. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if the Iranian government, out of simple courtesy to the Canadian government, would say, you're at liberty to send a representative or two to take part in the investigation and to be privy to all the information. The Iranian people have, for many, many years, been among the most intelligent, the most well-educated people in the world, if you take a look at the you know international data. And I can't imagine that they would do something as foolhardy as to exclude anybody who had a serious 
desire to help, to exclude such people from the investigation would be foolhardy. Uh, speaking of uh, trying to speculate here, and if I'm going there, turn me back. Um, there were people that had said because they had followed aviation uh, tracking information that this plane yeah. seemed to get up to about 2,500 meters, and that's where it stalled. Yeah, I've heard it expressed as 8,000 feet, and I've heard 2,500 meters. But but the one term that maybe you shouldn't use is stalled. Stalled has a specific yeah, that's my word meaning. Yeah, that that stalled means that it goes too slowly right. for the wing to generate right. lift. Stopped is another story. Yeah, so I guess the information, and I'll, I'll correct that, it got to this point and then that was it. Yeah, that's right. And that's hard to understand because that information would be continuously transmitted by the aircraft back to the ground control uh, mechanisms, the radar, the ADSB series of uh, instruments and so on. So that it's, it's fascinating in itself when that information all of a sudden stopped. Now, there was a crash a long time ago near Long Island where an aircraft had an explosion in a fuel cell, and that explosion knocked the the cockpit area right off the the body of the airplane. Obviously, any information that was coming from the cockpit stopped because because it wasn't getting to the radio transmitter antenna. So that... I, I'm not suggesting that's what happened, right? But but that could explain why information would stop right. rapidly, and doesn't if necessarily mean that that it doesn't necessarily mean that's as high as the plane got. I guess no, but but yeah. more important, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that the plane was any longer under control. Yeah. If the if the data, if one of the plausible ways it could have stopped transmitting was as a result of an explosion or something of the sort within the aircraft, that could explain it. What what it wouldn't explain though, I mean, remember when the Malaysian 370 flight yep. disappeared? People suggested that it might be that the plane was taken to an altitude where people could not survive for any period of time, and the cabin pressure was dumped. Mm-hmm. Well, you can you can survive for a long time at 8,000 feet. Yeah. So it's not something like that. But what we don't know is what would feasibly have caused this to happen. And right now, nobody's come up with a particular theory. When do you think we will know more? Uh, will know more? If, if the Iranian authorities hand over the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder to any other responsible agency, within a few weeks, they'll have a pretty good idea of what actually occurred. They may not know what caused it, but they will know the exact flight path that the aircraft took. They will know the condition of various systems, such as the engines, the navigation equipment. They will know even the position of the throttles, the flight controls, the switches. I mean, that makes aircraft accident investigation pretty easy, presupposing that that information is, in fact, made available by the Iranians. And as I say, I'm extremely hopeful that they will do that very thing. Aviation expert Jock Wilson has been, or sorry, Jock Williams has been with us talking about the plane crash involving 63 Canadians after it took off from Tehran. Jock, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Always glad to help. Thank you. That's Jock Williams, aviation expert. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Timothy Sale, Director of International Relations Program, Assistant Professor of History and Arts and Sciences, University of Toronto, is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, What are your thoughts on what happened last night in regard to this attack? Is that it? Is that the end of the retaliation in your mind? 
I think in the immediate short term, this is the end of the Iranian retaliation. I think that the Iranian foreign minister uh, really indicated that. Uh, unbelievably, we're watching this unfold on Twitter. Um, so, yes, I think that's the end of the immediate uh, retaliation, but I would not be surprised if the Iranians are making contingency plans for the future. Uh, way back when, with the, the killing uh, of the military leader initially, uh, they Iran promised hard retaliation. Uh, everybody was worried this was going to start World War III. Is this hard retaliation? Uh, they lost a leader. What did America lose? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think that there are different audiences here. Um, and the way the attack last night was presented in Iran, on Iranian TV, um, it was presented to the Iranian people as a moment of revenge, of striking back against uh, the United States. But of course, as we know, with uh, no deaths incurred, uh, this was a calculated effort um, to uh, make sure that this could be ended if the president chose uh, to end the tit-for-tat today. Are you surprised that Iran did not, are you surprised they gave warning in some way and allowed uh, everyone to get out of the way so there would be no more casual, so there wouldn't be casualties? Uh, it appears there's more casualties at the funeral for the leader than there was in this attack. Do Iranians view that as revenge? Well, again, it, in Iran, uh, the news is carefully controlled, and so I think that it was presented as a, a major moment. But, of course, looking at it from our perspective, it doesn't really make sense um, as a trade-off. Uh, you know, with the, the, the fresh dawn of day and having thought about this overnight, it does seem um, not surprising what the Iranians done, have, had done. If they had taken a more active uh, measure um, resulting in the death of Americans, I think we would have seen a far different speech from President Trump. In fact, he would have gone through with that uh, press conference last night, and I think we would have been hearing about attacks on Iran today. So a carefully calculated move by Tehran. Does that, uh, how does that leave Iraq on the world stage? Uh, many have said, including Trump, that this person, this military leader, should have been taken out years ago. Uh, at the end of the day, he's gone. What did America suffer? Again, I have a hard time painting this as retaliation unless there's more on the horizon. No, I think that's right. Again, I think that the the Italians, or sorry, the Iranians had a number of retaliatory options, but they would have resulted in just an overwhelming response um, from the United States. So, uh, whether by design or by accident, and I believe that this is a, a really, uh, uh, really a series of miscalculations and accidents. The president actually has been able to push Iran into uh, something of a, of a corner. Um, his threats to Iran yesterday on Twitter uh, about the strength of the United States military and his willingness to throw American military equipment against Iran, I think really bound what Iran um, could do. So uh, certainly to the rest of the world, this is a, this is a, a bizarre trade-off for Iran. But if you think about the next step, what would have happened to Iran if they had killed Americans last night? Um, they've probably made a good deal for themselves. So uh, most would say that, absolutely, uh, and thank goodness for that. But that being said, they did stand down. So what does that mean for Iran in the future? Right. Well, I think especially when America does not really appear to need their oil anymore. I mean, back in the, you know, they're talking about past uh, conflict and such. It was a completely different world. Now that America doesn't need their oil, does that change things? I think it does. Um, it also changes uh, the relationship with Iraq, of course, which is the main battleground at the moment between Iran and the United States. Um, 
the counterproduct, uh, counterproductive uh, element of the strike last night means it will be more difficult for Iraq to push out American troops, which was Iran's goal. So, um, no, the Iranians gained uh, very little uh, last night um, beyond what they're able to tell their own people, and they're in a very, very difficult spot um, against the Americans. The president seems, after today, to be insistent on his policy of maximum pressure, of containing and pressuring Iran. Um, and so while obviously we can take a breath of relief, there is no war unfolding today. There's still lots of room for mistakes and tension and for this to explode. How does Iraq feel about being the battleground for these two countries? Oh, they feel, I can imagine they, uh, Iraqis feel uh, terrible about this. Um, this battle between Iranian militias and their proxies against Americans in Iraq goes back to the uh, early years of the uh, American invasion in Iraq. Um, Iraq is a battleground uh, for these states, and it's, it's Iraqi lives that are caught in the middle. And with this attack on the base, we see how what a difficult position Iraq is in. The Iraqi parliament voted to expel um, American forces. Uh, how now can the Iraqi government follow through on that when Iran has breached Iraqi sovereignty by firing missiles at an Iraqi airbase. Exactly. This seems to me to be a more of an attack on Iraq than it was on America. I think that's right. So I, I think the Iranians, again, were trying to be very careful in, in, in deciding they needed to show they were doing something, but almost anything that they could do based on their um, abilities uh, would have resulted in uh, uh, further retaliation from the United States. So they chose these air bases, arguing publicly that they, they attacked these air bases in particular uh, because they're the site uh, where the drone that killed Soleimani was launched. And so there's a, a neat and clean Iranian narrative to what happened last night. Um, but we know, of course, it's not a neat and clean situation. Do we know what the damage was to that air base? What sort of casualty to equipment, infrastructure was there? Obviously, Iraq's ticked off because their air base has been blown up. But uh, do we know what the damage was at this point? Uh, we know uh, we first had initial reports of no American casualties and no Iraqi. And there were some Iraqi casualties. We're now reading reports that there were actually no casualties. And I think it's really important for everyone to keep in mind that these are air bases. These are enormous bases. Um, and by that, I mean enormous properties. Uh, you know, the sand to building ratio is high. There's a lot of sand. Um, I believe that these, these attacks were really carefully targeted to avoid um, loss of life and, and possibly to avoid uh, destruction of, uh, uh, of uh, infrastructure. So no reports on the infrastructure yet, but um, it seems like these uh, attacks were made to be spectacular but ineffective. Does this put Iran at a disadvantage now? Yes, it does. Uh, it's very difficult to see where the Iranian leadership goes next. How can they um, continue to move forward? They, of course, uh, realize that this isn't the strongest response um, they could have made. I think you'll see a real effort to continue developing that Iranian nuclear program, sort of the last bastion of hope um, for maintaining um, some strength for Iran in the region. I know that there's uh, a lot of political divisiveness on the issue of Donald Trump, and many don't want to talk about this, but is this not a win for Donald Trump? Um, you know, I, 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 
at the moment, it really does seem like a, a success, even if an accidental success. Um, it, it does seem, uh, I, I, and let me pinpoint that success for you. The success last night was in the president understanding or being advised that he should not go on television um, and announce, uh, you know, stronger measures against Iran. The success last night was in the president recognizing that the that Iran had given Washington an off ramp. Right. They had taken measures for which the United States um, could present to the world um, sort of a mocking view of Iran. Look how weak Iran is. This is mm-hmm. all they could do. I will tell you though, it was not clear last night, um, and I'm sure you remember, and your yep. and your listeners remember, it was not clear that that message had been received in Washington uh, for a little bit of time. But there there was a moment last night when cooler heads prevailed in Washington. Timothy Sale has been with us, director of international relations program, University of Toronto. Timothy, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks so much. Bye now. Let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He's on the line now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. Before we get into impeachment and such, your thoughts about what happened last night, your take on all of this a day later. Well, based on the words of your previous guest, who has a very similar name to you, I don't really have much to add, except that, yes, you're absolutely right. This is a huge win for Donald Trump, no matter how you slice it. Iran, obviously, will take some solace and some victory in it because they were able to save face. You know, according to reports, no, obviously, things haven't been fully verified, but I'm sure they will over time. Reportedly, they warned the Americans that they were going to attack, and as we know, there are no American casualties or casualties in general that happened last night, which, one, when it occurred last evening, I think most of us, including myself too, thought that it was a terrible decision by the Iranians. They made a huge strategic error, and they had basically started the potential for war. But in the end, all they were basically doing was protecting their own, as I said, saving their own face and protecting their butts, because I think the Iranians realized, and I think more of us are now sort of beginning to understand it, Scott, they needed to do something to show that they were quote-unquote still in power. In the end, no one, pa- no one died. I know that the Iranians are claiming that 80 people were killed, but I think that the Americans and the international community, I think we can safely say that their death count or death toll, which is zero, is the accurate one. But for Trump, it's a huge victory. You know, he got rid of Soleimani, he knocked out one of the most powerful people that the Iranian regime has and that the mullahs respected. They got rid of a man who was declared a terrorist in the United States by President Barack Obama, I believe in 2011, which makes it roughly nine years ago. And to sort of quote the way that the uh, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, said, where I'm paraphrasing a little bit, he said that Soleimani's death was, it was rejoiced by many people because he had the blood of many British soldiers on it, He also had the blood of American soldiers on it and many other Western soldiers, including, one assumes because we've served tours of duty over there, Canadians too. This is a huge victory for Trump, but his critics will just basically blast him over and over again, not because they're opposed to the fact that Soleimani's gone, they'll be opposed to the fact of the way it all transpired. Are you surprised that Iran responded this way? Are you surprised they did not take out Americans? Why the change of why the why the change of heart after this, you know, hard retaliation phrase? 
Yeah, I am a bit surprised. I mean, you know, obviously there's going to be the conspiracy theorists who argue that this was staged from point A, and I don't think so, and who the hell knows exactly what's going on behind the scenes. But for Iran, I think that really the strategy was very simple. They had to do something. They had to respond in some fashion. Because if they didn't, well, I mean, there are people who are opposed to that regime in char- being in charge. They could have used it as a sign of weakness and tried to overthrow them. By doing this, and if it is true that the reports are accurate, that they warned the Americans and others beforehand that it was coming, then at least it shows that they were able to do something, and again, everything's in air quotations, but everything I'm talking about is in air quotations, do something, respond in some fashion, and then they can run out on Iranian state TV and claim victory, even though the victory was complete and utter nonsense. I agree that the whole thing is preposterous from start to finish, and again, as I've said before, it's really the Americans and Donald Trump who come out looking the best from all this, but for the Iranian government or the Iranian, re- Iranian regime, they come out at least having defended themselves. It was preposterous the way they did it. There was nothing to this. There are no casualties. There's nothing to celebrate, but they will. How could they had not have been warned if there was no casualties? I mean, just what, bad aim? Bad, I mean, come on. They well, had... no, no. I mean, obviously, they didn't strategically aim in certain yeah. directions. I mean, you can obviously do fire in the air, sure. and it doesn't have to be targeted anywhere. I mean, you can fire, like, if everybody's to the left and you fire to the right, you're still firing at something, except you're going in the other direction. So my guess is the Iranians, realizing that if they actually did kill anyone, that the Americans would basically destroy them or pound them as hard as they possibly could, they did it in certain spots where they knew either that nobody was around or they just basically tossed it in, in a certain way or a certain direction where they knew no one was going to get hit. But for them, they can declare it to being a victory because they went after the big, bad American regime in, certain, in some fashion even though obviously the whole thing is so contrived. I don't know, even under state TV and and dictatorships and such, I don't know how people can buy into that when there were no casualties. There were more casualties at the funeral for the leader than there were in this attack. You're right, and you you said that just before you had me on. You're quite correct. That's true. Um, But again, remember, it's Iranian state TV. They control the airwaves. Right. So they can basically, like, much like other countries, China, North Korea, etc., they can gear their telecasts in a particular fashion. So if you exclude most of the outside world, although there are obviously wealthy or well-connected Iranians who get international news and know what happens, the vast majority of people in Iran will basically believe, listen to, either publicly or privately, whichever the case may be, whatever the Iranian government or whatever Iranian state TV, state radio, etc., tells them is what happened. And that's the version that they'll accept. That's the only way that it could have worked out. So what happens now? Is this it, or will there be another shoe to drop? I think it's probably it for now. I'm not saying forever, and by any means, I'm sure other things will pop up, maybe even this year as well. But for now, it sort of seems like the Americans have had their say and knocked out a, you know, a major threat to the world. The Iranians have, quote-unquote, had their say with some preposterous arrangement that fortunately didn't kill anyone, and that just may be it for the time being. But forever? No. And obviously... There is going to be tension between the U.S. and Iran that's going to exist 
long past this, much as there's been tension between the U.S. and the Iranians since the Shah was deposed back in 79. So how is the rest of the world viewing this now? That's a good question. I mean, I have looked at some international responses. I'm sure you have, too, and others have. And thus far, although everyone is treating it with caution and stating that, you know, it is still a tense situation, if you look at some of the language that's being used or some of the lines or words that are being used, the the common theme or the commonality is that, you know, that there seems to be a more calm demeanor, that things seem to have settled down, so to speak. No one is beating the war drums. Those have been put aside and that, you know, the situation between the U.S. and Iran remains volatile. But other countries, including Canada, are basically just monitoring the situation and obviously will, you know, have press conferences, um, discussions with the media, etc., as needed be. So I think what everyone's trying to do, as preposterous as it may sound, is they're trying to ease down a situation that really didn't need to explode last night, but did, And basically, I think whatever they think privately about what the Iranians have done, they're just going to put that aside and try to take a more diplomatic course that, you know, that they're happy things seem to be settling down. They're pleased by Donald Trump coming out and saying that, you know, the Iranians seem to be laying down and that's the end of it. But I think they know that there probably is more to come. They just can't announce it right now. Um, With the escalation of attacks sort of continuing, that's how we got to where we were or where we are in 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 the assassination of this uh, of their leader, of their military leader, and such. Uh, This has been ongoing. Do we continue to see little flare-ups here and there, and these and and these issues happening that have sort of come to a head with with this execution? Will they continue, or do those taper off a bit because? U.S. went in and took out a a head guy pretty easily. Well, it's tough to predict. I mean, obviously, the the chances for little flare-ups, nothing like what we've seen recently, but little flare-ups, yeah. I mean, those will probably still exist from time to time because there have been little flare-ups ever since Donald Trump tore up the the so-called nuclear deal with Iran a couple years ago. And with that in mind, obviously the Iranian government are going to want to occasionally do or say certain things, much the same way the U.S. will want to do or say certain things. I just don't think we'll see attacks on this scale anytime soon, or at least I would doubt it. Donald Trump is in a re-election period and in a re-election year, and for that reason, he mean obviously he had a huge success because he knocked out, <clears throat> you know, a, a terrorist or declared terrorist by his own country, and someone who has had an impact on foreign policy on the on the negative side of things for quite a while. So he's going to see that as a, as a victory, much the same way that Barack Obama when he got rid of Osama bin Laden, celebrated in the same fashion. Now, I agree that Soleimani and and bin Laden are two different figures and have done or, quote-unquote, achieved or succeeded in two different ways, as horrible as the achievements or successes were. But he's going to try, I would imagine, that being Donald Trump, to try and put this on the same level. But in terms of whether there are going to be further attacks, I think the world probably hopes there won't be. I I think they're hoping that this was an isolated series of events and days that caused a lot of tension, caused a lot of unnerve for, you know, for a lot of people, caused protests, rallies, discussions, debates, etc., and now things will settle down for a while. But little flare-ups, I think we'll always see those, much the same way we'll always see 
for example, little flare-ups between the U.S. and North Korea, to use a different example, yeah. but the threat of, an, of a Christmas gift coming for the United States, which, by the way, came and went and yeah. nothing happened. I think those are sort of the things that you can look at for the U.S.-Iran conflict going forward. Uh, many have talked about the the Iran, Iranian nuclear deal and, of course, Trump pulling out of all of that. How does that look now? I think it still looks the same in the sense that if you didn't believe that the nuclear deal really was working all that much, you're still going to be happy that they're out of it and that it's been torn up. And for those who actually was the deal a good idea? A chance they're still going to be frustrated with Donald Trump. So was the deal a good idea? Should the deal be in place? Are we better with no. it or without it? No, no, we weren't good with it. I, it. It also depends how much you trust them. I, you know, I like many other conservatives did not trust the Iranians. I like many other conservatives read reports and John Bolton, for example, and others threw out many examples of it, where it appears as if the Iranians were not really following the procedure. They weren't allowing in inspectors properly to sort of look at their nuclear weapons or their nuclear armament and to sort of detect exactly what was going on. The fact that the Iranians claimed that they were holding to the deal, and the fact that the Iranians would present their own papers and examples that everything was going well, was fine for the previous U.S. regime, that being of that of uh, then-President Barack Obama. It's not fine in general when the international community had a completely different or a completely separate point of view as to whether Iran was actually following it or not. But I think what most countries were doing at the time is they were hopeful. They kept sort of arguing that, well, it could be the same way that the U.S. and Cuba built their relationship. Right. Imperfect in the beginning, but got better over time. Well, the U.S.-Cuba relationship, which is a separate story, and we don't, we don't have to get into it on this interview, has not worked perfectly and has not been perfectly smooth, and anybody who says so is being farcical. I mean, you just have to look at the history and examples and the fact that the current Cuban government is not doing things much differently than the Castro brothers did, and you can sort of get your answer from there. So in terms of Iran, no, I don't think they were being honest. No, I don't think they were holding to the terms of the deal. And no, I don't believe people when they actually directly state that they were, because it was only the Iranians stating it. Many international officials were not allowed in. We did not get full reports for it. So while certainly it's created a more tense world, and I don't dispute that, if this deal was not being fall to the letter, what was the point of it? And Michael, we never did get to talk about impeachment. Was that the whole idea here of this, uh, of taking out the, the military leader that to bump impeachment off the front page? Nah. I don't, I, you, you know what? Sure. I mean, I know people will sort of say it works yeah. side by side, but not really. I mean, the, you, firstly, Donald Trump doesn't even believe the legitimacy of this impeachment. Many Republicans don't. And we all know how it's going to end. You and I have discussed yeah. this, and I've discussed it with others. We all know it's going to, he's going to be acquitted in the Senate. And now, very briefly, Mitch McConnell, the Senate leader, has directly said that he has the numbers in place to basically just wipe this thing off the table. So this is going to end pretty fast. So if it was really to take in impeachment off the discussion table or out of the news cycle. Yeah, maybe it did for a little bit, but it doesn't matter because the Republicans never believed it was part of the news cycle to begin with, and certainly Donald Trump didn't either. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist and contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, thanks so much for your time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a good day. You too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.